Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova, and this is episode 100. When I started this podcast and when I thought about starting the podcast, you know, I was really afraid of like, will I be able to be consistent? Will I be able to find guests? Will I have information and things to talk about that people will even care about or maybe people do care and then will I have enough to, to fill episodes and fill episode after episode after episode? And I think it's really important that whatever we say we're going to do in life, we create some kind of commitment around. So for me, when it came to this podcast, I said, I'm going to do 100 episodes. And I had a goal of at least an episode a week and two episodes a week is like a bonus. And that's the game I was up to. And, you know, I obviously want people to listen and I want to grow the audience. But really for me, it was about being consistent and showing up every day to produce something. And I think it's fitting that this is the 100th episode and that my guest today is actually someone who does something really similar, puts one foot in front of the other or uh, maybe one brush stroke onto a canvas or onto a wall or a spray paint can over a spray paint can. But basically, someone who's committed to a craft and does it repeatedly over and over and continues to improve and grow to uh, live into his passion and fulfill his dreams. So I'm, I'm really excited about this episode as the 100th episode because not only is it the 100th and that's an accomplishment and it's really cool to celebrate that with a podcast with all you guys as listeners. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. But it's also great to celebrate this with my oldest and best friend, Jonas Never, who's our guest today on the Dream Mason podcast. If you're in LA or you've been to LA or some other cities that he's painted in, you're probably familiar with his work. If you're a fan of ESPN or Fox Sports, you've maybe seen his work on those networks. Jonas has painted over 200 murals nationwide. His largest mural is about 102 feet by 52 feet. It's the Touch of Venice mural. It's in Venice Beach. If you, if you drive down to Venice Beach, there's the hanging Venice sign. And it's, if you're looking towards the water, it's up on your right. It's impossible to miss. It's like I said, it's pretty massive. But he's painted murals all over the country. And some of his top murals are the mural that people, I want to say, really found out about Jonas about on a national scale was the LeBron James mural. When LeBron James came to Los Angeles, Jonas painted a mural. Um, Jonas, I forget what it said, but um, King of LA, right? <laughs> yes, sir. 
And uh, yeah, originally said King of LA, and then, then it became King, just King in LA after yeah. a little bit of controversy. Yeah, and and the controversy had it. I mean, obviously, it was on ESPN and on Fox Sports and all these networks because of what you were doing, but ultimately because of the controversy that surrounded it, somebody vandalizing it in LA, it kind of just just spread like wildfire and was on all sorts of media outlets. But Jonas, thanks for. Um, Thanks for being here for this episode specifically, but thanks for being here on the Dream Mason podcast in general. Dude, thanks for having me. I should have sent you an ice cream cake for your 100th episode. There's something to celebrate. We like ice cream cakes. You and I have that. <laughs> we have that in common. Dude, everybody should like ice cream cakes. They're delicious. Right? We're, so people don't know we're going to do a whole episode on the, the glorious nature of an ice cream cake. <laughs> it's going to be one to remember. <laughs> um, so, dude, thanks for being here. I'm excited to talk to you about, you know, what you do is a visual medium. And we've talked about this before, right? Like a podcast isn't necessarily the best way for you to share like all the things you've done because what you do is all completely visual. Um, yeah, there's very little talking when you're painting. <laughs> yeah, but I really want you here because what you've accomplished is, is incredible and it's not even close to being finished. Um, I think I shared, I shared with you before, but I've shared with people, I think one of the most incredible things about you is, you know, we met in high school, we played baseball together. You were a really good baseball player and, and you had the, the potential to be a professional baseball player and whatever that means, right? There's, and you got, you played in college and you got drafted, right? Too. Yeah, it was on the verge, and right before the draft, actually, when I got hurt, my labrum, my rotator cuff, everything decided to, you know, kind of say goodbye to me. So, along with that, so I went baseball. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and with that, it's like you had these hopes and these dreams, and your dreams were to, like, be a professional baseball player and be on ESPN and, and make a life with that. And what's extraordinary is life threw you a curveball, right? It, you're, you hurt yourself or you got injured in a way that basically ended that dream. And what is extraordinary is yeah. like now you're on these networks through your art and through creating art and you ended up kind of in the same place. And I think, I mean, if we could all do that, if we could all say we had a dream and then when circumstances show up, find another way to get there, I think we'd be yeah, vastly, yeah. yeah. You know, vastly totally. happy. Yeah, it, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like you realizing that the world's not over if something happens, like that there's always something you can make something else out of it. And, you know, find something else you're passionate about and that you care about and just kind of make a left turn and go that direction. Guys, what's up? This is Alex Terranova taking a little break for a second from that podcast episode to tell you about my book. I wrote a book. It's crazy, right? But it's for real. For real, for real. Like for real, for real, for real. I wrote a book. It's called Fictional Authenticity. Release your past. Start living your real life. So you guys can pick this book up right now on Amazon. Basically, at 32 years old, I woke up. I saw that like everything I was living was a story and it was bullshit. And this book is my journey of realizing that the life I had created was this life that I envisioned as a child. And as a grown up, it wasn't real. It was imaginary and inauthentic, even though I felt like it was authentic. And I think we all have aspects of this. And that's why I wrote this book. I wrote this book for people who don't normally read personal development self-help, whatnot, to, to just take you through my journey and what I did to really transform my life. And throughout the book, I give you practices, tools, and tips that you can do so you can do this in your life. It's called Fictional Authenticity. Release your past, start living your real life, and you can get it on Amazon now.
What do you think, like, when it comes to, you know, your murals, how did you, mm-hmm. how did you go from, because I saw you as an artist, you know, painting on canvas and, and, um, and, you know, sketching and things like that, but how do you go to, from that to painting, you know, walls that are 102 feet by 52 feet, and how do you even figure that out? I think, I mean, now there's like classes and stuff like that that people take, but when I was doing it, I didn't really know, there was no real like guidelines to this is how you start painting murals because it was before the Banksy movie, it was before street art or public art, it was really that big a thing everywhere other than like, you know, some old ones in Venice Beach and in Miami and stuff like that. So I was like, wow, like there's something to this. And I got an opportunity to paint a Floyd barbershop maybe 13 years ago. And I had no idea what I was doing. Like I, I applied the same style I did the canvas on the wall. But then I tried to like incorporate some elements of the area I was painting in over on like Santa Monica Boulevard. And then I kind of, after the first one, I realized like, this is kind of fun. You get to interact with the community. If you do a canvas, people only see the canvas if they go to your gallery or they see, they go to someone's house where it's hanging up with this, everyone who passes that wall sees it. And it became something I really loved. And I think, you know, kind of like being on a mound, being on a wall on a busy street, kind of that same sort of like all eyes on you vibe. And when I was playing baseball, it was really easy to get up early in the morning, go to the gym, like, you know, you practice with the team, you go to class, you do all that stuff. So you have a real, like, structured day. And I sort of applied that same structure to painting and almost, like, gave myself homework and, like, stuff I had to get done each day. And after doing it year after year, I think I started getting better technically, just, like, the more you do something, the better you get at it. So I kept pushing it more and more and sometimes push it too far and I'd take a couple steps back and relearn it. And as the years and murals went by, I kind of, own my craft a little bit and I'm still owning it but then I you know started learning tricks like to grid the wall so I could if I messed up an area I could redo just that part of the grid and like you know kind of like the way you learn how to draw when you have a substitute teacher in elementary school and then just had different things like that like <laughs> and yeah I'm still and how which subject matter like finding a good reference photo I realized was super important when I use like a crummy like pixelated photo you couldn't get the same details if you get some high res thing from a blu-ray so yeah, it's just a huge learning curve. And, you know, luckily I, I started doing it when I was young enough that I hopefully can keep learning the rest of my life. You said something right at the beginning of that, which was when Floyd's gave you that first opportunity. And for, for mm-hmm. the people listening, you know, uh, Floyd's is a barbershop chain that is all around the country. And Jonas has done murals for them in how many states? Do you have any idea? California, Michigan, Colorado, Illinois. Kentucky, Florida, maybe a couple others, uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, they're, they're open all across the country. And luckily, I got them in their infancy. So I kind of grew alongside the company. Yo, I want to take one second to shout out and acknowledge the sponsor of this podcast. I am truly grateful for them, not just for sponsoring this podcast, but because this program changed my life. If you're looking for a spark, if you're looking for change, if you're looking for transformation, leadership, training, or coach training, Accomplishment Coaching is really the world's finest training program. You should check it out at accomplishmentcoaching.com. Yeah, and the thing you said, though, was like you didn't have any idea what you were doing, which is so, I think, I believe relevant because when I started this podcast, right, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I never had a podcast. I never put anything like this online. I didn't even like the sound of my voice when I started and you've always had a great sounding voice <laughs> thank you um what 
what, but that that idea of like I didn't know where to start is what hampers so many people, right? They're like, well, I don't know how to write a book, or I don't know how to start a company, or I don't know how to create a t-shirt line, or whatever, and they don't start. What do you think separates, you know, someone like you who went, who could have made all the excuses to, as to get to not do the Floyd's thing, but was willing to throw themselves into the fire and basically like, I'm going to do it even though I don't know how. I think it's sort of looking into it and being like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, if I do a crappy mural, it's my only mural and no one will ever hear of me again. So it really doesn't matter. And if I do a great job or even just have fun doing it, it's awesome. Like, I now I'm more cognizant of like turning down jobs that might reflect badly on like, you know, whether it be a subject matter or like something controversial that I'm not really on board with or just a product that I don't want to be like, you know, have my name associated with. Like, I think there's some things like, you know, besides like the presidency and stuff like that, there's some things that won't touch. But back then I was like, dude, like I might love this. At worst, I get to hang out in a hair salon for a couple of weeks and, you know, there's much worse places to be and maybe I'll get a free haircut and, make, and have a good time. And I end up like, and then I, in a, some almost more important way, once I got that opportunity, I actually made the most of it. And is it my greatest work ever? No, because it was my first one and it wasn't a total bust. And I got along well enough with them that they gave me an opportunity to paint the next few locations they opened up in Southern California. And over the years, I think I've done like some like 60 odd murals for them. So I think it's like, there's something to be said for when you get an opportunity, you, you know, make the most of it both professionally and on a personal level. And, you know, and I'm still friends with all owners of Floyd to this day. What's the biggest risk? Cause that at the time could have been a big risk. And you basically were like, look, what's the worst that can happen? I paint a, don't paint a, yeah. it's a great attitude, right? What's the worst that can happen in launching a podcast? Nobody listens. Right? Like, yeah. so <laughs> we, lose, we both lose some time, some energy, but ultimately like we have another day to go on. If, as long as nothing bad, as long as you don't fall off a ladder and a computer doesn't murder me. Um, and I think it's, well, and I think it's also important that you have someone else in your life when you're doing it. Like I was bartending then. So if all else failed, I would just keep bartending and, you know, there's still money coming in. I'm not going to have to go start stripping on weekends to support myself. Like life's going to be fine either way. And, you know, you're, you've had the life coaching, you had other stuff going on when you started the podcast. So it wasn't like all your chips were in. And mm -hmm. there's something nice about having other interests and other ways of making income. What about, and then what are the risks now? Cause now it's like 200 murals in you have, you work with, you know, you do projects with like the Staples Center, you do projects with um, uh, Fox Sports. I mean, I don't know if you do any yeah. with ESPN, yeah, but like, you do with big companies, yeah. Adidas, you've just did a yeah, mural with Adidas, Powerade. Del yeah, Delta, Delta Powerade, um, LAFC Soccer, yeah, Derwin James from the Chargers. Like, yeah, it's been a pretty decent run of people. And yeah, what were you going to ask about risk? What, what, well, what are the risks you face now? Because now there's like actually like a lot of chips on the table. Before there was like a chip and you're like, oh, I'll, I'll put that in. I'll go for that. Now there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Moved up from penny slots. But now it's like I don't want like everyone has different beliefs. And I'm not going to do something like anti, say, anti-Trump if one of the big owners of a, a company I pay for is Republican. Like it's just if that makes him hesitate on hiring me in the future. Do I think, you know, everything in the world's great right now? No, but it's not really my place. I've never been a political artist, so I definitely don't touch that. And then I'm not, like, you can't be an idiot on social media. Like, I'm, if I say something awful on social media and it scares, you know, Adidas off from using me, then that's my fault. I shouldn't have been an idiot. Like, you just have to be a little more, like, grown up, I guess. And obviously I can't get, like, a DUI because if I can't drive to a wall to paint it, then it's hard. I'm not going to be taking, like, the bus with, like, you know, two ladders in my arms. <laughs> so it's just kind of, like, being a grown up and like being like, okay, like 
there's so many opportunities and I'm not going to like start some internet beef over some stupid thing and then get all my murals tagged either. Like just, that's, you know, kind of why I took down LeBron in the first place. I don't want it to start spreading other walls in the area that I had, had you know, a little drama for that one. So I think it's really just everything's bigger than this, you know, this little microcosm so many of us live in and just look at it from the big picture perspective. That's awesome. So like responsibility, like being responsible for what you paint and what you say and like how you show up in the world, being respectful to other people, whether you agree with them or disagree with them. Um, and I love that. It almost sounds like you avoid, you purposely try to avoid like drama in a sense of yeah, just kind of a distraction. And also I'm like by myself painting all day, like, or, you know, maybe there's people around, but like, if you're in a bad place, it's a really long day. If you're like stewing over like negative energy and negative thoughts, like, not that I'm like all like, you know, new world, like happiness stuff, but like if you're painting and having a great time enjoying being in like the sun and like just that opportunity, you get paid to paint for a living and it can be a really fun day. And by the same token, when I started painting, I used to like always wear like headphones or, you know, those before AirPods and stuff like that fancy came out. And I realized there's something nice when I was about having interaction with the people passing by and getting to know the neighbors and actually becoming a part of the community, like just like my wall was about to become a part of the community. And you know, if they can say like, oh, I talked to Iris, he was a nice guy five years down the road, they might, you know, tell their kid or tell their friends like, oh yeah, I met him when he was painting that like way back when it was, you know, it's cool talking to him. And that doesn't always apply if there's some like crazy homeless guy talking to his shoe in the alley in Venice Beach, you know, that might be a good time for headphones. But for the most part, it's nice to kind of interact with people around me. So connecting. And that kind of, I guess, reflects what you were saying about like the whole like, you know, responsibility thing. Yeah. So connecting with people is... It's funny, you bring connection to an industry or a world that there doesn't need to be any connection, but it's like something totally. that you embrace. I think it's helped because it, you know, if I make a friend on a job, say for Adidas, like I did, then someone I met through that, that was, I guess I talked to while I was painting and they put in a word with someone else and then actually, you know, their friends call and like, hey, I've got this wall. And then you kind of maintain this friendship and it, you, you all succeed as professionals because they look good for getting, you know, a mirrorless for their business and I get more opportunities to paint. So just being personal and such a, like you said, most artists are so antisocial and, you know, like Todd from Wedding Crashers painting with his own blood in his bedroom, like something nice about like, you know, being out there and actually having, being able to interact with people like on a normal human level. What's the toughest thing, like the most challenging, toughest thing about not, not the painting specifically, but about like the whole, the whole industry of what you do, you know, the being alone, the being outside often all day, you know, creating, like putting your creativity on the line for everyone to judge and see and have an opinion about? What do you think? I think there's a few hard things. One of the hardest for me is kind of, for lack of a better word, getting in bed with the right companies and the right people. Like there's so many artists out there. It's so easy to like, some of these people don't know a damn thing about art. So they'll take whatever is the cheapest or like whatever can get them the fastest and just kind of not get caught up in like that whole like side of it and just focus on like great projects and great opportunities and things that I'm really passionate about. Cause if I'm getting, getting up every morning, not excited to paint this wall, it's going to feel a lot worse than if I'm like, you know, go to bed at night and wake up thinking about how excited I am to get back on this wall. And then beyond that, obviously it's hard to paces, you know, they're tricky. Like you got to make sure it looks like them. <laughs> if you're doing portraiture, it better look like the right guy. I mean, after seeing that Christian Ronaldo statue at one of the airports, really looked like sloth from Goonies. Kind of have to hold yourself up to Irish But if you're painting someone, especially if they've died, it damn sure better look like them. Is that then, more? Eh, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, and yeah, and beyond that, it's just like trying to structure something that's a passion and 
you know, in many ways, a hobby and a lifestyle as also a business. That can, that's a different element of trickiness that, you know, it's sometimes challenging when you're trying to figure out how much your time and energy and life is actually worth. Yeah. And what's the pressure associated? Cause you have painted some tribute pieces. I mean, mm-hmm. share, share with us some of the people you painted tribute pieces for, but what's the challenge associated with that? Like, um, like say when Anthony Bourdain passed, I had to find a spot that made sense. Like I'm not going to do a, you know, more of a piece of Anthony Bourdain on like the side of a Chuck E. Cheese or something like so find a location and find an image that actually looks like him. Like, you know, when I painted like say Kobe Bryant or like Gwen Stefani, people that have had long public careers, you have to find an image that the public can recognize immediately as them, which was actually impossible with Gwen Stefani because I didn't realize how much plastic surgery she'd had. So that was a whole different challenge that, you know, for another time. But like, say, yeah, back to the Bourdain one, like, find a wall that makes sense, find a photo that looks like him, find, make sure all that stuff's fine, and then actually get it done to make sure it still, you know, still looks like him and that reflects the image that you kind of want to put off. Like, say, like, say I died, what I want the image to be me holding a paintbrush, what I want to be me, like, standing there smiling. And I'd be mad if someone did a crappy rendition of me, like, you know, sitting there, like, holding a beer. <laughs> like, it better be, like, something that reflects all sides of me, not just, like, one. Mm. And the people that, you know, like, who are some of the other the people that have passed away that you've done murals for? Uh, Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park. Jonathan Gold, the food critic. Uh, Triggs, who owned a bunch of tattoo shops in Los Angeles. Stuart Scott from ESPN. Greg Sager from ESPN. Um, a bunch of graffiti artists from LA, you know, guys who I was, uh, Tyler, just did Tyler Skaggs a little while back from the LA Angels and Santa Monica High. Do you feel like there's uh, more? Tom Petty on Ventura Boulevard, yeah, there's been a bunch. <laughs> Do you feel like there's more pressure in the, when you're doing those? Like, especially because some of them you know or you're interacting with the, the families or close friends, like pressure mm-hmm. from, from them or to like actually get it like write or get it to a sense that they're happy with? Yes. I mean, I feel like the, I'm going to put more pressure internally than they ever could. Cause I think a lot of families are just thrilled to have somewhere they can visit their loved one and, you know, something, someone actually taking the time to remember someone they care about. But for me, like, especially now with social media and like, you know, TMZ.com and all that, like I want to make sure that there aren't too many critics online saying that, you know, that, that doesn't look like him. That looks like Shrek or something like that. Like, so it's, it's as much as, you know, you try not to read anything like that. Like we're all still human. I want to do the best job I can. Is it going to look hundred percent like him? Probably not, but it's going to look close enough that someone passing by 50 miles an hour is going to still recognize them. And, and hopefully as I keep going, I'll get him more and more back. Some of them I'm still thrilled with. Some of them I look back on them. I could have done that a little differently, but I'm with all the memorial pieces, especially I'm pretty happy with how they've all turned out. I got, I think I've actually taken the time to make sure those are all, among my most on-point murals. Yeah, your your the evolution of your work is, um, especially for someone like me who's seen it. But if somebody goes back through like your Instagram, probably all the way to the beginning, they can see the evolution. Um, I think I I have one of your paintings still, like one of your something that you a car you painted from like the sushi bar. <laughs> yeah, I mean we were we were in our early early twenties, and sometimes I look yeah. at that. It's actually at my parents' house. And I'll see that painting and then I'll look at something you've done. And it's just a really cool testament to what putting in time and energy commitment effort does, right? Like you are a good artist, but 
I was a, I was a good amateur artist. I think like it'd be like me, like you know, it's like I can make a pretty good omelet, but no one's gonna put me on chop anytime soon. <laughs> well, it's in it's all in comparison though, right? Like at the time, you were a good yeah. artist, but in comparison yeah. to where you are now, yeah, you're you're it, it's not actually good at all compared to where you are now. But mm -hmm. the I think and and we could say that about where you are now compared to where you'll be in ten years again with more time and more energy and more commitment. And, and I think that's the yeah. reminder that I get of like anything. When I mm -hmm. see that your old work, I'm reminded like, man, anything I start today, I will be vastly better at it 10 years from now, five years from now, if I continue to do it. It doesn't matter what it is. There isn't anything that I won't improve at. Might not mm -hmm. become a professional like at the thing, but it's impossible for me not to get better. I, but I think it's, if you care about it enough that you want to keep improving, like, you know, we, we've all been, we worked at what gold for like a million years together. Think about the same people we'd see at gold every day that never look different. Like five years ago, by and that's the exact same. <laughs> you get in like a rut or a, a rhythm and you do the exact same thing and don't push it and don't like take risks and kind of learn what you're doing. Then you end up like those guys at gold that look the same. I mean, they, they, mind you, they don't get worse. So I'll give them that. They never got like obese, but like <laughs> they stayed the same. And, well, it's all relative, right? And it's all relative, right? Because we don't, maybe they wanted to stay the same. Maybe that was the goal. We'd have no idea. <laughs> but I think you make a good point, right? Like if you do, a, uh, one of my mentors said re recently on like, uh, on a, when I co-host the coaching show podcast, uh, there was this conversation mm -hmm. where the guy said, if you practice coaching for 2000 hours, but you practice bad oh, yeah. coaching, you don't become a better coach. You actually have to yeah. practice the right way or practice in a way that would have you improve. How do you, yeah. how do you specifically do that? Like, what do you do with your art to make sure that you're like getting better? I think I just keep trying to find subject matters and like, I'll see, I'll pretty much use all my old murals as reference and say, like, okay, look for weak spots, look for things I would do differently. And luckily because they're public, I'll take like a drive down Venice Boulevard to go, oh crap, that area looked kind of dull there. Man, that part really didn't hold up as well as I thought that it was. Like, and now it's trickier because with, with Instagram being such a huge thing, you see a lot of guys doing murals just for instant attention. Like some gentleman did a Kawhi Leonard one for the Lakers before he signed with the Lakers and he didn't sound with the Lakers. And I thought that was kind of like, it's a cheap shot for fame, like, or like or a way of getting cheap fame. And I think I'm become more cognizant of like wanting the longevity of this. Like these murals can act as performances, but I want them to be up forever and trying to find pieces that will kind of remain timeless. And that's a big reason why I did that big touch of Venice mural in Venice, like growing up around there, so many of the murals in the eighties and nineties were like these cheesy, colorful, like things that look super dated, like two years after they were done. And I, I kind of thought like, what stuff is really like Americana, like things like, you know, icons of the areas, like even the eighties movies, like stuff like that. Like there's some timeless feature of it that may, will last forever, who knows, but at least it gives people, you know, it won't look dated. And once I got the subject matter, I started trying to figure out how I could fine tune it. And it's still a work in progress, but I think it's just keep finding interesting styles and interesting ways to make the art better. And, improve it and not let it get stagnant yeah and you just you said something just now that i think is really relevant especially for people that are creators whether it be you know they're they're creating 
actual things like entrepreneur creation or creative creation that you're actually okay with putting things out in the world as imperfect like things are imperfect and that you yeah. see their imperfect perfections and people stop or don't put their stuff out because they they think they haven't gotten it right or perfect yet how do you kind of deal with that um, I, I think it's just being comfortable with like in that moment it's the best it's going to be like think about as a musician, they come out with a song. No one's gonna say that song perfect in every way, shape, or form. But if it bothers them in two years, they can always remix it or redo it or you know, re-record it. Like I feel like the walls are the same way. Obviously, like some of the huge walls, it'd be tough to get a scissor lift out there again or a boom lift and redo that entirely. But I try and put enough legwork in before I start the project to where I'm comfortable. Like I'll put, you know, I'll get, I'll take a foot of the wall, I'll measure the wall, I'll figure out the dynamics of it, like which way traffic sees it, which way like the character should be facing you know, what parts are important or obstructed, stuff like that, like the kind of things that are in this culture where everyone has a camera phone, stuff that's important. And then once I have that, I'll Photoshop a million different renderings onto the wall, or sometimes even just one if I'm really confident about one idea, but I'll Photoshop all the guys so I'm pretty sure how it looks, and then I'll, so I'll spend enough time kind of going through the work that by the time I actually come to paint, I've already kind of established that this is the right choice. And it's always the right choice. No, sometimes I'll find a much better photo like the day I finish the mural, and that's just the way you know things go. But I've spent enough time prepping it and getting stuff ready. And over the years, I've learned which paints look the best, which scenes work the best, what stuff lasts. Trying to make my life easier, and you know, scissor lifts, scaffolds, stuff like that. You kind of learn as you go. And if I'm confident in what I've set up and my renderings, and you know, kind of like all the groundwork, even if it's not 100% perfect, and I'm still good with it and hopefully it's, you know, it's the most perfect it can be. Yeah. I, I think that's like the, I've been reading a ton of, I, I feel like I don't know that you know who he is, but I've been reading a ton of Seth Godin and he's a, like a marketing wizard. He's written like 18 books and his whole thing is people that are become successful and people that uh, are known and in whatever field they're in, it, they do what he calls ship which is to him shipping is they actually produce stuff, right? Like you can have the yeah. best ideas in the world, but if you're always trying to get them right, so they never actually go out into the world, no one cares. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah, that's like People who take acting classes their whole life and never actually act. Yeah. Yeah. Like if that's, it's a great point, like make short films, do something, but produce, write scripts and send them out, but like do something to get your stuff out there. And it is like you work, I don't know that it can be said any better than this, but like you're probably one of the hardest working human beings that I've ever met. And thankfully you're doing something you love, but you know, as we said in the beginning, you and I are really good friends and we text and talk all the time. And there's rarely a time where you're not working. Yeah. <laughs> What's oh, yeah it's, it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's really hard, dude. Like even like on a morning like this, when I was like trying to figure out how to like get up, get all the stuff, like go to the studio, go to the gym. I'm like, I'm gonna make sure I leave like an hour, hour and a half for Alex. <laughs> and even something that's like doing like something good for a good friend is hard. Like imagine if it's someone's birthday party, I don't really care about. Like there's no way hell it's happening. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. You kind of made me think of that when you were talking about like just producing stuff. Like when I started painting, not necessarily murals, I guess start, I'd start doing murals. I wasn't that big yet. A graffiti from Long Beach named Jabber was like, dude, your, like, your ideas, your, the stuff you're running with, is like, if you ever can figure out a way to fine tune the craft, he wasn't quite harsh, but he's like, pretty much said, if I can ever fine tune the craft, I'm gonna kill it. Like, 
he's like there's like and I, I always took that like a huge compliment that like he saw something in it and it's like you know if you saw kiss kiss bang bang a decade ago and saw robert downey jr be like awesome i wouldn't necessarily known he was going to become iron man and make a bazillion dollars and be like you know this renowned actor but i knew there was something there mm-hmm. and i feel like you said if you approach the world that way and just kind of like if you're yeah, like if you're painting walls and the, the concepts are there and the passion's there it's you know, if the technique and everything else catches up to it, and if the world catches up to it, if like people actually appreciate it, and luckily through like Floyd's, through Bolero, through you know real estate developers and other you know people that are important enough to give me the opportunities, if the world kind of connects in that way, then really good things can happen. Yeah, you say yes a lot too, which is um, something that I would point to like a trend I've really seen with people out in the world that are successful is there are often people mm-hmm. that say yes before they say no. Now, yeah. You do have to say no, right? Cause you can't say yes to everything, mm-hmm. but there are yes first, which is more opportunities, right? We all get opportunities, but so many of us are not even seeing them or we're so quick to a no that we don't even realize it was an opportunity. And then we're upset. Like, uh, well, they, I never get yeah. a chance or a shot where it's like, no, you did. You just didn't, you actually just didn't give it a moment to even say yes to. You're absolutely right. Like even yesterday or two days ago, I got offered a job for very little money. Cool. A wall I've always wanted, but the concept I wasn't really in love with. And it would have been really easy to dismiss. Like I'm busy as hell these days. It would have been super easy to be like, no, I'm, you know, I don't have time. But I said, I was like, dude, I'm not going to say no. Let's say fair enough. We're going to work out the concept and work out the budget a little bit so I can move it up the schedule. Like I was like, I'll put it on the back of my schedule. And if you, you know, if you can wait, you know, months or even a year for it, then maybe I'll get to you. But we can you know raise the budget and make it a little more exciting to paint then we can make it happen but like i figure if it's a project that i really don't want to like there's some projects i have to say no to where it's just we paint like a dragon eating flowers in my my daughter's bedroom so it's 45 dollars. i'm like yeah that's gonna be a no but but if it's something that i'm actually like into or spot them into or or someone that i think would be fun to work with i'll say yeah and just be like dude like i'm busy like if I'll get to you when I have time. If that's cool with you, great. If not, you know, I, I can maybe give you another artist name or something. But I'm, I'll still say yeah and just be like, but it's gonna be on the back burner until we can get, you know, kind of get on the same page with this. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's like instead of it being no and it stops everything, it's kind of like yes and how. So you, you yeah, you say yes and then it's like, hey, so I can't, you know, do this thing today or tomorrow or this month because, but hey, it's a yes. And let's figure it out if you're willing to figure it out with me. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful win-win versus, a, you know, lose-lose or win-lose in some shape or form. And I'll try and explain to them why. Like, I'll be like, look, if this job, if, you know, this big company is offering huge money and this, com- this, play, this wall is offering a really high-profile wall that people are going to see all day long, these are better opportunities, both financially and as a you know, public artist. If you're behind them, you're going to keep staying behind them. And if more jobs like that come up, you'll keep getting slid down. But I, I'm still, you know, I'd be happy to work with you down the road. And it keeps the door open. And at worst, they can't be like, God, that guy was a dick. Unless, you know, and if they start, every once in a while, you'll find someone who starts getting really antsy. And for, despite getting, you know, this low budget price and all that stuff, they'll kind of try to work their way in firmer and firmer. And those are people have to be like, okay, you're already a pain. This hasn't started yet. We haven't, you know, really worked out of the dynamics and now you're being needy for nothing. That's, those are people you have to learn to cut off. And, you know, it keeps your life a lot more sane and makes the whole experience a lot more positive. Yeah. I want to ask you, you said it 
way earlier in the conversation and we didn't get mm -hmm. to it, but you talked about internal pressure and yeah. You know, I know you, so I, I can say this, like the, the experience of, you know, if any, anyone listening to this that knows Jonas, like you're, you're pretty positive, like funny guy. You're like easy to be around. You're a really good judge of character. You know, people like you, you like people, but I, what I would say is you're not, you, you, you know, when we sit around, it's not like, we're not going deep into our feelings or you just typically don't go there. And there's nothing wrong yeah. with that but i think like it, it i am always curious about that like i'm somebody who i do go there a lot more especially like with the podcast and, and what i do as a coach but i'm really yeah. interested in the internal pressure because i talk about that a lot like my internal pressure is you know the voice in my head is like really cruel to me and really mean and it's like the worst voice ever um mm -hmm. what's the internal pressure like for you, what's your experience of like being with yourself and dealing with yourself, especially in a world where everything you put out is like up for criticism? I think there's a few. I mean, the first one that always hits is the deadline pressure. Like whether, you know, some of the jobs, like, well, it'll all be all worked out and then all like 12 days to paint say in Minneapolis and it's going to snow the first day and then rain the third day. And I'm like, so it's that pressure of, well, it, you know, it feels like an episode on like reality TV where like, is it really going to get done in time? And that pressure is real. Like, and, but I don't want to speed up the tempo so much that it ruins the final result. So it's trying to like the time pressure is a big one. And then it's the other pressure that I feel a lot inside is making sure it actually looks good. And it's so easy to cop out and be like, Oh, it looks good enough. And it's like, being like, okay, dude, like let's maybe call today or let's like take a break and get back in and just make sure this really looks right. And when I was younger, I'd do a mural or do a painting, whatever, and have like a week off. And there was like a lot of like intersects, but they're not intersects, a lot of like breaks between projects. So where I could actually appreciate what I was doing. And once I got busier, like a lot of the work kind of, not not the work, but a lot of the projects kind of blurred into each other. I'd finish one in the morning or in the middle of the day. And that afternoon I'd always be working on the next one. And I'd, I'll work on a project all day. And then at night I'll be Photoshopping another one. And, a lot of pressure is trying to keep everything kind of you're juggling a lot of balls and just making sure they're all well that came out really wrong but there's a lot of, you have a lot of like your project going up in the air <laughs> um, yeah yeah it's just like it's tricky when there's like 18 different things going on you're trying to remember which project you emailed the rendering out to which project you got to look a, look for a wall for which one you to get the invoice you're, you're waiting on the invoice from like walls you know paint, spending 10 hours in the sun all day on a different wall so it's just the pressure of like really being like a one man show and then knowing what you can delegate and what you can really just kind of be like hold off. And then I think one of the, probably the biggest thing I'm still learning is how to like turn it off. Like, you know, most jobs you work a nine to five, five o'clock comes, you punch out and you go home or you go to happy hour or whatever. And for me, it doesn't really work that way. Like my hours don't really make sense. So I have to learn to like not respond to work email at 1130 on a Saturday night and how to like not think about art when I'm like out with friends and how, you know, when I'm actually like how to turn off and become a human again. And some, some days they're great at some days I'll be at a barbecue and I'll be looking at my watch going, man, I really should go home and, you know, Photoshop this for an upcoming thing or pack paint for tomorrow. And that's just a weird pressure that, you know, I think it's hard just having people in different you know capacities, whether it be an athlete or someone who's really like self-driven, they, they struggle with their whole lives. Is there anything that's, that shows up for you like as fear that you're, that you notice that you'll get afraid of something? 
I think luckily through playing baseball when I was younger, a, a lot of the fear has turned into almost like a nervous energy. I remember before games, I'd like kiss 3,000 times and like, if you'd be super excited. And now the night before I'll start a project or like I'm flying into like Lexington to do a mural on a flight there. I'll be like super like nervous, anxious, like where it's not quite here, but it's like, like I think the years have passed where I'm no longer like doubting that I can do it, but it's more just like, is everything going to go right? Is everything going to go smooth? And you start kind of, I think the more you do it, the less fear there is, but we're all human and fear does still, you know, come back in weird ways, but it's not quite as ugly as part of my life as I think it could be. What do you, where do you see it going? Like, where do you see yourself? I, I, you, know, you, know, you know where the fear, you know where the fear is? Sorry, I, don't know. I, I realize where the fear is, where the stuff that's out of my hands. We're all like turning a rendering or all the projects that I'm really passionate about possibly doing. And the, when I'm waiting to hear back from waiting to get that email back saying I got the go ahead or like waiting to hear whether, you know, they want me to do the job. That's where the fear is like knowing that they might pick another artist. They might want something really stupid or, you know, it just might not be the right time. And usually it ends up being a blessing in disguise. Like I turned down one project with a, an NBA player that I thought was had an impossible deadline. And by turning that, that down, it led to a great project with LAFC which led to Staples Center. So even when the fear does kind of strike and it actually wins in those situations, you can still kind of bounce back and be fine. Mm. Nice. So, and then where's this going? Like, where do you see, do you, do you have like a vision or a dream for like where you see your career going, you know, five, 10, 20 years, 30 years down the future? Um, yeah. What do you see in that area? I, I do and I don't. I've learned with this that as much as I want to plan, sometimes the best opportunities come out of nowhere and things I think are, you know, set in stone kind of run dry where I'm like, oh, I'll be painting for this company forever and then they'll stop expanding. Um, as an, all I can really control is what I do as an artist and I want to keep finding ways to make the painting better and I guess more unique or at least find different ways to do what I do. Like the cost I went through a million different periods, like the blue period, this period, that period. And I don't want to become just like a one trick pony. And even though like, you know, m many of my more famous murals recently have become just portraits. I don't want to only do portraits. I want to do more landscapes and do more classic stuff and find ways to tie in with like the times. Like I feel like there's a lot of the twenties are starting up again. I want to figure out a way to tie in the roaring twenties with like the modern era. Um, I feel like the eighties are a, it, an era with a lot of imagery that we looked off as cheesy for a long time. And, I think there's actually some really cool elements that, that I might be able to use, especially now that a lot of the 80s movies like Terminator are coming back. Um, I just want to keep art exciting to me and keep finding ways to do stuff that I haven't necessarily done yet. Professionally, who knows where it's going to go. I've, I'm thrilled that I've been able to be successful this far, and I don't ever want to trade the passion of art for just the money unless someone like Dodge is like, hey, we'll give you a gazillion dollars and you can paint and dodge billboards for the next three years and then we can figure that out i'll still be young enough to do fun stuff after three years later nice i like the um like there's the kind of going with the flow and at the same time being open to opportunities impossible yeah. is there something that yeah. is there like a dream job or like a dream gig or a dream project there are dream projects dream job 
I'm sure there is one, and I feel like I'm gonna end up meeting or finding that, like, pay, like hanging out at, like an airport bar in a different state. Like LA is so saturated with murals, and some of you know Miami, New York, some cities have so many murals. I feel like the opportunity might arise somewhere in like Nashville or like you know somewhere in, where there isn't that quite as big an influx of murals. But I don't know where that'll be or when that'll happen. But I'm open to that whenever it does. Um, dream projects are. Pat Tillman, who played for the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona State, his little brother, Rich, used to work with me at the Whaler. And for all these years, I've always wanted to do a Pat mural in Tempe. Like, for those who don't know his story, he was an NFL player who got killed by friendly fire uh, while at war. And I've all, you know, his whole life was pretty much in – or whole football life was in Tempe. So I've always wanted to do a mural with him there and just, like, do the same thing for Dale and Hart Sr. in either North Carolina or Daytona. Just memorial murals have always made sense to me. And then maybe do a giant Dolly Parton somewhere in Nashville. Hmm. Just because I think it'd be really funny, and it's not when you think of subject matters for murals, you don't often think giant country yeah. singers. Yeah, is there anything uh, else? And then the local anything, yeah. anything outside of yeah. murals, like pe- like any art or styles of art or pieces that you see yourself doing or want to do outside of the the murals that you've been doing. Dude, I would love to have an impact in the gallery scene. That's I haven't really figured out a way in, but like I started seeing, you know, some artists who. I guess for what muralists or artists make their ways in the gallery scene. I've seen some do like album covers for like Blink-182 and other bands. Like I'd love to find different ways to do art. And I think when that, like I don't, while I have so many opportunities with the murals, I don't really want to turn them down to go go other directions. But if there's a great opportunity, I'll do it in a heartbeat. And as I get older and don't want to climb walls and stuff like that as much, I feel like opportunities like that will become more and more enticing. And, you know, or if, LA gets hit by a big earthquake and it falls off into the ocean. Don't move farther inland and do either murals there or get a gallery or a studio somewhere there and just work on campuses. Uh, what's the, if you were going to leave like not just artists, but people in general with like a takeaway or a parting word or message from what you've learned that you think could help them, you know, further whatever it is that they're up to, what, what might that be? I would say find find what you're really interested in, find what you're really passionate about, find what you enjoy like having your life and make it a part of your life. Like for years it was baseball and art for me. Those are my favorite things. Baseball ended, I was able to bounce right back and do art. Like and even beyond art now I'm like you know, between sports and movies, T V shows, local history. There's enough things I can fuse that I'm passionate about that I can actually put into my art that make keeps art exciting and fun for me. And I'm always trying to like see what other things I can put in there. Whether it be like, you know, Western movies or mobster stuff or whatever it is. Like there's, I really get excited, like, you know, going to whatever a few bookstores are left and like buying books with photos of, you know, things I may have not discovered about Los Angeles yet. So if you're interested in a million different things, pursue as many of them as you can. And if one of them, you know, ends up, you know, dying off in your life, you'll have plenty of other options to replace it with. And, it feels much less like work if you actually enjoy what you're doing. I love that. Like the idea of like expand, like we're as human beings, we're whole and we can take in a lot. We don't have to, we don't have to focus on one thing, but what I also get from you is it's like, you're not doing 30 different things at one time, but your Mm -hmm. passions are might be 30 different things, but you kind of find a way to weave all the passions into like the one or two things that you're focused or working on. Really and I think I learned a lot of that from bartending over all these years. Like you're at the bar and you talk sports with one guy 
then you talk about like Santa Monica or, you know, LA stuff with the girl next to him. And then you talk about what happened on stranger things that week with the guy next to them. Like by being a bartender, you have to kind of have connections to all these people. And when I'm painting in public, you kind of have that same thing and be able to talk to everyone that comes up to the wall. And, and it helps when, you know, you're painting for a bunch of different companies and what Adidas wants might not be what Delta wants. It might not be what a hair salon in Denver wants. Like you have to, the more interested you are, the more things you can kind of fit yourself into. That's beautiful. That's really cool. Yeah. It's like it all in the bar scene, it all, it's all inside of the box of bar of the bar bartending, but there's a million different things yeah. going on. That's really awesome. Insight. Totally. Um, thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. I, like I said before, I know how busy you are. You're constantly painting. You're constantly working on murals, asking you to take an hour ish out of your life to, to do this. Um, I know it wasn't the easiest thing for you, but thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing so much. Like some of these things I, I know about you and I'm happy to, to share them with others that don't. And then I feel like even though we've known each other since I think we were like 15. So yeah, like over 20 years now that we've known each other, there's stuff in here that I don't think I even realized or that I knew. So thanks for being here, being open and honest and just sharing yourself with, with me in this world. And, um, Thanks for being somebody who leads with passion and is creating a life based on what you really care about. Because I think people like you give other people hope that like, Hey, they can do it too. Dude, thanks for having me. Like I'll take an hour of my schedule for you. and happy to be a part of hundredth episode, dude. Thanks man. And yes, it's the hundredth episode. Um, man, I don't even know how to celebrate, but we'll have to find a way. Um, <laughs> Uh, the last thing I want is if people want to, you know, people that want to see your art um, online, what's your, uh, what, what social medias can they like look at your stuff on? I would say the best spot would be on Instagram, just never 1959. And the same thing on Twitter, but I'm not that good at using Twitter. And then my website's just jonasnever.com. But the problem with being busy painting is I don't really get around updating it too much. So Instagram's where you'll find most of the updates. And Maybe we'll find an ice cream cake that I paint for Alex's 100th episode when I finish up painting today. <laughs> is there, um, if, is Instagram, if people like, obviously if you're in LA, there's a million places to see Jonas's art. But if yeah. you're not in LA, is there a list or like if people live in other cities and they want to see, you've done art in a lot of different places. Is Instagram the only way just to like look and scan through? Or is there other ways yeah, to yeah, find Instagram's out? Yeah, Instagram's the best way. What I, I'm going to, I'm going to put together a map probably early 2020 and put together an interactive map that I was going to do last year, but after the whole LeBron stuff, I wasn't sure I wanted to give people direct <laughs> coordinates to all my murals. So, but yeah, now that that's all done, um, yeah, I'm going to put an interactive map up, at least for Los Angeles. And then in other cities, I figure my stuff's geotagged on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way to do it. Um, if you're in other cities, look for a Floyd's Barbershop or a Bowl Air Bowling Alley. And hopefully there'll be a lot more in bigger places in other cities soon. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jonas. Uh, it's awesome to have Jonas Never, um, the muralist and artist from Los Angeles who's doing murals all over the country and one of my best friends and longest friends um, on the 100th episode of the Dream Mason podcast. Thanks again, Jonas. Oh, thanks for having me, dude. It was awesome. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream, and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, Please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.